0: Hey there, guys, and welcome to Twin Movies. I'm Ben Phelps, and I'm joined by my regular banter buddy in crime. Gabe Derrick. hello. Every year, Hollywood releases two movies based on the same idea. So we ask the big question, which movie did it better? Today, we'll be reviewing two classic Twin Movies about Rev Thieves. It's Gone in 60 Seconds versus The Fast and the Furious. Let the games begin. Okay, so let's kick up this episode with an overview of these twin movies and a flashback to our first encounter with them. On the 9th of June 2000, Gone in 60 Seconds was released. Here's the IMDb synopsis. A retired master car thief must come back to the industry and steal 50 cars with his crew in one night to save his brother's life. So Gabe, did you originally catch Gone in 60 Seconds when it was released at the cinema? And what was that experience like?
1: I don't think I've seen Gone in 60 Seconds since I saw it at the cinema in 2000. And I don't really particularly remember it well. Like, I guess I'm not a huge car man, so I wasn't really into it for that reason. I would, however, describe myself as a huge cage man. Always have been. Love that guy. And he's in pretty fine form here. So that, I guess, is probably the reason I went and saw this movie, to sate my love for Cage this what is that
0: totally uh, that Cage window of those uh, Michael Bay films, uh, Dominic Center films. Who did uh, the other film?
1: Simon West did Con Air. Simon West, yeah. It's so, like what's the Cage's window? post-Oscar action halcyon period. Totally. What do we have? We had Gone 60 Seconds, Con
0: Air. What else? Face Off. The Rock.
1: Oh, The Rock, yes.
0: Yes, you're right. Halcyon window of time. Yeah. And which, Sna- Snake Eyes? <laughs> oh, yeah. For a lesser
1: extent. All the classics. <laughs> So, whereabouts about you catch it at the cinema? Yeah, I must have. Probably went and saw it with my dad. And it's weirdly, it's one of those movies that I don't think I'd watched it in the interim. It surely can't have been 18 years since I've seen this, 19 years. But it sort of felt like that. So, it was actually quite nice to sort of see it fresh again.
0: Yeah, I feel it's one of those films that I've caught bits and pieces with on TV, like since then. I don't watch TV anymore in the sense I don't channel surf or anything like that. But I'd say between the release of this film in 2000 and maybe 2010, I reckon that 10-year window, it's sort of filmed on a Saturday night I might have just caught a few scenes of on TV. And the soundtrack's pretty fun. So I think I would have turned it on, nodded my head a few times to a cool kind of stealing scene with a great soundtrack and then gone to bed or flicked the channel.
1: Yeah, maybe there's a couple of scenes i would re-watched maybe a bunch of times on YouTube. And there were certainly a few lines from this that my friends and I would kind of parrot incessantly, or maybe one line. Oh, a, a save that for it. the Best Dialogue oh, no, I Award. Will, I will, I will. But okay. but it's sort of, none of me or my mates are kind of like rev heads or whatever. So, it's not like one of those sort of perennial rewatches because you love the Shelby Cobra or GT500 or whatever, you know, like, car porn doesn't really do it for me. Yeah, totally. I agree.
0: This film, for me, in terms of my personal connection as to when I first saw it, happened in that window of time I've spoken about before when I worked at the Art House Cinema and then had a reciprocal deal with commercial cinemas. So, in that three-year window, which ended at the end of 2000, this would have been one of those like last films, the last six months of my joyful movie-going time that I would have caught at the commercial cinema. And I think I went because I was a huge fan of Nick Cage's Hollywood shenanigans, like those films we just mentioned before. I think it had a great trailer, which we'll talk about in a sec, but it wasn't a film that I would have been anticipating. I think at the time it was one of those films I decided to see on a Saturday night because there wasn't much else to see. Right, fair. So, let's then jump forward a bit. Now, we are cheating slightly with this episode of Twin Movies. Ordinarily, we'd be doing films released in the same year. These films were actually released a year apart, but they were in different calendar years. But because they are so similar in many respects in their premise and their concept, we thought we'd be remiss to not actually review them. We'll allow as a it. Twin Movie. Exactly. So- Later on after Gone in 60 Seconds, on June the 2nd, 2001, The Fast and the Furious was released. And here's the IMDb synopsis. Los Angeles police officer, Brian O'Connor, must decide where his loyalties really lie. When he becomes enamoured with the street racing world, he's been sent undercover to destroy. So Gabe, the big one, talk me through when and how you first watched The Fast and the Furious.
1: I mean, I must have seen this at the movies. I mean, it really harkens back to simpler days, doesn't it? And in a way, it's kind of this one, Fast and Furious, much more than, say, Gone in 60 Seconds. kind of feels like a time capsule. The clothes, the cars, you know, the occasional homophobic slur. Watching it really felt like it took me back to uh, just being out of high school and hanging out with my mates. I don't actually really remember seeing this at the cinema. It was definitely one of those ones that probably watched a whole bunch on cable TV. You know, you'd be hanging around at someone's house and be on and you'd just sort of watch it. And then I guess um, it's just that thing. I probably haven't seen it a lot since this one. You know, every two years there's another Fast and Furious movie. To whet your appetite. Is there what? To whet your appetite. There's yeah, that's
0: right. There's Fast to, and Furious going around that just keep in some going. respects, yeah, it's almost like you don't need to go back and watch the first few. No,
1: no. Although, you know, just sort of watching the uh, characters turn from simple street races, knocking over trucks into sort of – International super spies is certainly a thing when you rewatch this one and realize, oh, yeah, okay, they were just knocking over truck convoys like, you know, Baby Joe Pesci and Goodfellas in this one. <laughs> in
0: terms of my first experience, uh, it definitely was a film of the time. I saw this at the cinema. This is a pre streaming world. Rewatching the film did take me back to 2001 in terms of the fashion and the music and the aesthetic and so on. I saw this at an art house indie cinema in sydney but it was like it mainly played commercial fare. at the time it was a pretty disposable film like when i saw this film you know besides acknowledging it was a ripoff of point break which i really like i would never have thought in a million years this would generate more than one sequel like this seemed like a pretty cheap and cheerful distracting mcdonald's type movie and it would then sort of vanish and, you know, even the stars in it, like the lead star, Brian O'Connor, was just one of those guys who'd been in, was it The Skulls, that kind of teen thriller by the same director beforehand? So there was nothing that said to me this film would be incredible and there was nothing at all that suggested it would be a film that would live on to have eight and counting films in total in the filmography.
1: Well, I I don't think Vincenzo Gasolini thought that either because he sat out the next two. So I know. you Wait, and I Vin-
0: get all the categories. You got to save this. You're I know, I know.
1: Okay, Keep okay. your
0: powder dry. Keep your powder dry. All right. all right. Before we do a review of the movies, let's do a quick history lesson. So, how do we get here? Like, how do we end up in the situation where Hollywood created two films at the same time? So, Gone in sixty seconds is a remake. It's a remake of a film of the same name, a very loose remake. And Fast and Furious is an original film, but it actually takes the name, I think, of an old Roger Corman film with the same name, isn't it?
1: Oh, is it? I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah.
0: They had to negotiate for the rights.
1: I've served, they bought just the rights to the name, though. They, were, yeah, they don't care about exactly. nothing else, but we just want Fast and the Furious. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. I mean, development of the Fast and Furious is quite interesting. See, in the early 2000s, Paul Walker had just wrapped up filming The Skulls with director Rob Cohen. And uh, Cohen had secured a deal with the producer, Neil Moritz, for some sort of untitled action film for Universal Pictures, the idea of, you know, just make us an action movie. And so, Cohen actually then approached Walker, who'd just been the star of his previous film, for his idea of a dream action movie. And it was actually Walker who suggested a mashup of the films Days of Thunder and Donnie Brasco. And then what happened after that is that Cohen and Moritz brought a vibe – magazine article, which was published in May '98, so a year and a half beforehand, to Walker. And that article detailed an undercover street racing circuit operating in New York City. And so they suggested a story that was to be a reimagined version of the film Point Break, which again is kind of similar to Donnie Brasco, but then follow Walker as undercover cop tasked with infiltrating this world of underground street racing in LA. And so based on that, then Walker signed on immediately. So interestingly, it was actually Walker who had the original pitch of Days of Thunder meets Donny Brasco. And then the idea kind of formed a bit after that with this Vibe magazine. And then I guess just the simplicity of the point break reference.
1: And did they That surprise me? Does the opening credits of the film say inspired by the Vibe magazine article or whatever? Did they is it do I don't actually- know. But
0: I recall at the time in the publicity for the film that was released, it was the Vibe magazine article that they pointed to and they maybe even bought the rights to that article.
1: To what? To sort of give the premise credibility? Like, hey, we're not just making making this up. There's actually people with hotted up WRXs knocking over trucks.
0: I think it was actually an issue in terms of trying to pitch the film to studios and audiences. There was this idea that people still had in their heads – Ideas about what was considered to be cool car culture that dated back to Harleys and Mustangs and that sort of thing. And I think you know, the idea of a hotup up Suzuki or a Japanese sports car was kind of derided right. by the sort of penny pinchers by the people who actually made the decisions. And that Vibe article gave credibility to not only the fact that this culture actually existed, this underground street racing culture, but actually if it existed and it was popular, then there'd be an audience for this film.
1: Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. This movie is, and its following sequels have led me to believe that any given weekend, there may well be a whole armada of people with their cars gathered doing, you know, illegal street races. And now you just take that sort of premise for granted. Like, oh, yes, I believe that. Totally, sure. Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of credit to the film. So let's uh, jump to a review. Let's start with the film that came out first Gone in 60 Seconds. Tell me, Gabe, did you like it? What worked for you about this film? And what didn't float your boat?
1: Rewatching it, I liked it. It's pretty entertaining. I mean, it really feels like it's of its time, but also not particularly dated. Like, it's got a kind of colour palette and style. It's very early 2000s. But I guess because of the type of cars they have, it doesn't feel like, oh, wow, this is, you know, an awkward time capsule. Film itself is pretty entertaining. You've got Nick Cage in reasonably fine form, Giovanni Rabisi in his slipperiest best, Will Patton. Will Patton playing kind of a street tough sleaze bag. I think keeps it interesting, keeps it moving. The action scenes are pretty good. There's maybe one too many subplot, perhaps. You know, but yeah, I like it. I liked it. I liked. I like going back to this. I like rewatching this. What about you? Yeah, I really enjoyed
0: it. I'm actually surprised I haven't actually revisited it more before. It's got all the components I would like in a Hollywood action film. It's got Nick Cage (laughs) in the right combination of Nick Cage. Like, he's turning on a bit, but he's not too crazy. It's got some great characters I've always liked, other actors like Giovanni Ribisi and so on, who I don't see enough of. I like the soundtrack. I've always been amazed by the career of the director, Dominic Senna. I mean, he had this film, and I think Swordfish was about one year later. And I actually thought he's a pretty impressive visualist. And- I actually think in some respects he does a better job with the action scenes than Rob Cohen does in The Fast and the Furious, and that he actually relies on practical effects. I and mean, when he does use CG, uh, computer generated imagery, it's a little bit more subtle and better integrated. So this film felt more tactile to me, and I liked it. I mean, the soundtrack's great. I think the... Groove Armada songs, the combination of both music of the time, like Groove Armada, but also a few kind of classic riffs, a few flashbacks work really well. I think all the actors are actually doing a great job and work really cohesively together, like Timothy Oliphant, Delroy Lindo as the cops. Oh, yeah, they're they've great. got great chemistry together. They're charismatic on screen individually as well. I think Nick Cage works really well with the kind of mentor figure of. Oh, what's his name? The old guy. Oh, Robert
1: DeVall. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, who's those great guys, in this well, with his yeah, like, back hair.
0: I basically buy all these people in these roles, which is a credit to casting and directing, like, everyone's just seems to fit. And even when you've got this really kind of quite lean slash way too skinny Angelina Jolie with the blonde locks as the kind of sole female character coming into the world. She feels a little bit kind of out of place initially, but I think that's just based on her being a woman in a man's world. The way the whole story is engineered, and she's totally believable in her character. And you yeah, know, although the, she was history.
1: in it less than I, she was in it less than I expected, you know. Yeah, that's right. I've commented on it as well. Bit. She yeah. doesn't pop up till you know a third of the way through, and then she just disappears again, and then comes back. I, yeah, I've recalled her being her being in it a lot more. I think
0: because the film was made before she won the Oscar for Girl Interrupted, and she wasn't as quite mainstream and famous. And then when they released the film, she was front and centre prominent on the poster with her name in the top billing. But I think we all had higher expectations that she'd be in the film more than she is just because she'd become famous since it was made. Right. Um, hey,
1: now, now, I have to ask, actually, something you mentioned before. You said Nick Cage, and he's in a prime Nick Cage Nick Cage acting area, and you said not too manic. Yeah. Isn't the very best Nick Cage always when he dials it to, like, to a million? Like, that is oh, the best Nick Cage. What, what are you
0: talking about? No, 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 no. Oh, mate, we are going to disagree strongly on this one. Oh. I don't mind a few scenes where Nick Cage does that kind of crazy head shaking and puts his fingers on his temples and gets really energised and excited because he's really frustrated with the situation or he's really motivated or, you know, energised, but- I don't want Nick Cage doing that for 120 minutes. That's too much, Nick Cage. That's too much chocolate. It's too much beer. Oh man. It's too much. Inject Inject it straight into my veins. (laughs) I mean, it's sort of funny. I kind of like in this film, he's kind of measured. And then when he gets frustrated, he kind of like, you know, gets a little bit annoyed and crazy. And with paired with the right dialogue, I find him a great sell of frustration. But (laughs) I just find I need that in moderation. I can't have too much otherwise yeah it's just overkill i get a right. tummy ache
1: right i mean there's nothing for me more disappointing than seeing a nick cage movie where he comes in and he's his manic heart his mega heart his mega acting heart clearly isn't in it you know so i really treasure those roles where nick cave cage nick nick cave <laughs> nick nick cage goes just goes all out and he does he does enough here to satisfy me you know like he oh, said, that was he's my next question temple okay. rubbing and his hand shaking
0: yeah, that's it. It's always the handshaking, the temple rubbing. He's kind of like getting excited. There's that scene where they play that song. I think, I think the song is Low Rider. Yeah, yeah. And that's that bit where he kind of like is getting into it and he's kind of thinking, motivating himself. And There's another scene I think he gets frustrated with Christopher Eccleston's character, isn't
1: it? Uh, that does happen, yep.
0: Yeah, I think he does the same thing though. That there's that manic reaction where he gets so angry he can't control himself.
1: Yeah, or even just little cages, where you feel like maybe this was his idea, you know, where he goes and he sort of reconnects with the car he wants to steal, Eleanor, and the characters are watching him. He's sort of like talking to the car and running his hands over the car, and they're watching him from a distance, and they're like, what's he doing? And then they're like, oh, that's his car, that's Eleanor. And he's kind of like, you think maybe that was Nick Cage's idea to go fondle the car he wants to steal.
0: Do you think Nicolas Cage named it Eleanor?
1: I don't know. Maybe, like, he could choose, like, in Full Metal Jacket, they could name their own rifles.
0: Oh, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Or maybe. aliens, where they were allowed to decorate their own helmets. Yeah, well. maybe.
1: It's a little little thing they could have. Sure. I'd like to believe I do that. like
0: everything's not explained. I do like that there's some implied history between him and the car, but they actually don't articulate exactly what that history is. But it's enough to think that he, once upon a time, stole this car, and that may have led to his first incarceration.
1: Yeah, he's Ahab to its white whale. Oh,
0: nice, very yeah, nice. Very
1: literary. It's a very literary film. If you were the uh,
0: screenwriter in the room pitching this to the studio, they'd be like, sold,
1: in the in the room. And they'd be like, sold, but what's an Ahab?
0: <laughs> you know, I actually fear you're probably right. <laughs> uh, any other final comments in our quick review of Gone in 60 Seconds before we jump to The Fast and the Furious?
1: No, I'd say it it holds up well. It holds up well.
0: Yeah. For me, I thought – The interesting thing about the film is the time they spend before the heist versus the actual duration of the heist. Did you have any expectations going into the film as to the whole film building to this one big heist? What was your impressions versus – it's a long time ago, I know – versus what actually happens?
1: No, I mean, they still do that sort of very Hollywood thing of starting with a heist, although it's Giovanni Ribisi stealing the – what is he stealing? a Lambo or something – so, they give you a little bit of, like, a little taste of car action up front. But I guess, are you saying comparative to a movie that's made now, they spend a little bit more time with the, with the characters?
0: Yeah, I suppose the difference with this film is that because you've got two cops on their tail, it's actually closer to, say, Heat than, say, The Score. In a film like Heat, you've got the guys trying to do the robbery and the cops watching them and the robbers have to try and make their move when they're not being watched, They have to try and distract or outsmart the cops. Whereas this – and this film's the same. Whereas, say, The Score is an example of a heist film where you're with the criminals the entire time and only the criminals. Right. And so, if they're going to get caught, the criminals are going to be as surprised as we are, the audience. So, when I first saw this film promoted a long time ago, back in the day, like the first trailers and so on, I thought this would be like us always immersed in the criminals world. I was surprised when they had the cuts to other scenes featuring the cops. But I quite like that because those cops are quite charismatic. And to me, it actually kind of adds an element of a ticking clock. Like Totally. Even though, that jeopardy,
1: even though that jeopardy is essentially false because, you know, Nicolas Cage isn't going to end up in the slammer halfway through and, you know, directing the, the car robbery from a jail cell. So yeah, I guess right. it's more just yeah. the sort of yeah. fun of the scenes, like Delroy turning up and them having stolen the car with the cocaine in the back and- you know him revving it to clean the cocaine off the the ground or whatever. That's one of my favorite scenes, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? And I guess it's it's that thing where it's just some of that sort of fun interplay between them, even if you know it's not really gonna, you know, really gonna come down to some sort of like shootout halfway through or whatever.
0: Yeah, true. Actually, speaking of uh, fun scenes, I actually really like that scene too, where Angelina Jolie's fleeing with Nicolas Cage in the car. And they're kind of talking, you know, with a lot of double entendres about gear gear sticks and that sort of thing. And there's that classic scene in movies where I think, as I recall, cops go past, people go past and they have to try and kiss each other to try and, you know, basically provide cover as to what they're doing in a car at night outside someone's house. And, of course, in the act of actually kissing as part of their cover, they kind of get it on.
1: Yeah, right. Same as like Ronan or Heather's. It's a classic. Yeah, classic. I
0: think it's really all, all done in Ronan. That's a fantastic scene in Ronan. It works really well. It's played out very slowly as well. All right, let's jump to a review of The Fast and the Furious. So, Gabe, Fast and the Furious, it's a classic. Talk to
1: me. Is it? Is Ooh, it a classic? Controversial, controversial. I mean, like, re-watching it, it's a pretty enjoyable movie, but there's nothing wrong with movies being really about, you know, really, I don't know, their time like movies don't have to be time you don't have to be able to watch a movie and go ah yes you know they wisely chose not to put mobile phones that are dated or have plots centered around fax machines or whatever you know that classic fax machine movie that everyone keeps talking about but i don't know this one it kind of didn't didn't quite hold up for me or certainly didn't enjoy it as much as i must have enjoyed it when i was a kid like i don't know it just everything seems so funny about it like all the I'm not one of those people who, like, ironically watches movies. I think that's just terrible poison shit, you know, Like, or laughs at movies, <laughs> you know, awful. But I couldn't help but sort of had a whole bunch of bits in this just finding it really, really kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say dated, but uh, just like I said earlier, the, the clothes and the cars, you know, them throwing around, you know, sort of that Chasing Amy, Mallrats, Kevin Smith era, casual, you know, use of... uh the F word. I don't know. It just, I didn't like it as much as I remembered. What about you? Yeah, I think you're right. It doesn't date as
0: well. Actually, I think this film dates worse than Gone in 60 Seconds. Oh, and much I was going to jump- Yeah, yeah. Like, I was looking at Gone in 60 Seconds, and I think, okay, it's got the team montage assembling. It's a classic heist montage. Love that. I mentioned earlier before the great soundtrack. I think Gone in 60 Seconds has its problems in terms of- Quote casual, unquote racism and issues, and so on. Like, there's a scene at the start of Gone in 60 Seconds where Donnie, who's played by Chi McBride, he's a driving instructor. Oh, with the a terribly- cover, yeah. yeah, yeah, like that's a bit cliched. And I also oh, think yeah. uh, Rabisi's scrappy beard and Nicolas Cage's hair hasn't aged well at all. <laughs> but <laughs> nice. the film in general, because mainly practical effects, has aged quite well. The Fast and Furious is a funny time capsule, as you said before. Like, there are so many things that are odd to me, like the CG, I think, is a little bit too OTT, like the idea when you sort of follow the camera through the exhaust pipe and stuff like that. I mean, it's kind of fun, and but to me, the effect is somewhat let down by the fact that it isn't fully integrated into the real world. I think it's a funny film in that you can criticise various things like, you know, drinking iced cappuccinos and ladies got these kind of weird um, – they're like sneakers slash high heels – with yeah, like flames yeah. on the side and so on.
1: The, and The little wool caps they wear, you know, or yep, the caper yeah. shorts and stuff.
0: So the fashion is very much of the time as well. The soundtrack obviously is too. But then I can watch, say, a film by Michael Bay, like we mentioned The Rock, and I can get into those air guitars still, even though that film is 21 years old. So a film can be of its time but still manage to transcend time. In this yeah. case, there are various kind of factors that – Cumulatively, in the Fast and the Furious, to me date the film
1: more. But okay, do, do thing- you think? Do you think it is like, for instance, Fast and Furious? They're all driving around in I don't know what they, like, WRXs with the the lights underneath the cars and stuff, which is just so early two thousand. Let's go take our cars and park in the parking lot of McDonald's. You know, like yeah. sick. Whereas gone in sixty seconds, you know, the the hero car that they're trying to steal is like a what is it like a Shelby Mustang GT five hundred, which is like. It's always going to be like a classic. Do you know what I mean? Which
0: is smart screenwriting and smart filmmaking to me because you choose something that's a classic then, which means it's still going to be a classic now.
1: Yeah, totally. So you look at that and you go, oh, man, the car that they're trying to steal, that's so cool. You know, like that car is still cool. Whereas when they're fanging it around, what do they call the desert races in Fast and Furious 1? It's called, ironically, Race Wars. Race Wars. (laughs) You know, when when they're racing for slips at Race Wars and they're just driving these kind of like, you know, Little, little rocket cars. It, it certainly doesn't have any sort of like timeless appeal. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I think uh, in some respects, ironically, you and I would be the executives that would say no to this film because we wouldn't have got at the time the very um current, the very contemporary nature of that car racing scene. Like we would have said, "Oh, what are you talking about? Like a WRX or a Toyota Supra or whatever? Like they're not classic cars at all, and thus missing the whole point." So. I think in some ways we're the victims of not understanding that particular car culture and how it was so important of the time. Totally, um, totally. But that's why I did so well then and that's also why I think the cars age better like the classic Porsches that are stolen, the classic like Lamborghinis and stuff in Gone in 60 Seconds compared to the kind of Japanese pocket rocket cars in this film.
1: Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and that's a point I suppose because the cars in Fast and Furious are supposed to be – comparatively relatively accessible cars. You know, yeah. They, they, yeah. They, he gets that 10-second car and then the Einstein guy's like, you know, oh, we can make this a 10-second car with maybe 15 grand. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's not like they're talking about the really high-line, luxury, you know, sports cars that Gone in 60 Seconds are ripping off.
0: Yeah, those cars in Gone in 60 Seconds are unattainable fantasies, whereas in this one it may be beyond the – Budget. It may be a bit of a stretch for most cinema goers who are fans of Fast and Furious, of that demographic,
1: but it's somewhat comparatively more attainable. Totally. Totally. But so did you, you like, you obviously still like the movie, recall it fondly, rewatched it warmly. Yeah, look, to me, I've got mixed feelings about the
0: film. So I think the film hasn't aged well for various reasons. So You've already alluded to two of them. First of all, there's a derogatory usage of faggot by Vince, which doesn't sit well in 2019, like that kind of casual, quote, you know, homophobia. Like, it's not – it was language of the time, which totally sat comfortably in films, but now not so much. There's some There are details where the film has just, just become a victim of its own lineage in this whole series where, as you said, like – there's a grand heist to steal DVDs, which is so ironic. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, by Fast Five, they're stealing $100 million. In this film, they're stealing DVDs and DVD players. And it's kind of funny for two reasons. One, because that whole technology now is just, just comparatively archaic to how people stream TV. But also, like, the stakes seem so low, yet weirdly complemented by this whole thing of stealing semi-trailers full of DVDs and DVD players – is this whole idea of Bond-style matching black cars, which is kind of very clichéd, very corny. But then I guess they're meant to be somewhat anonymous because they're black, but then because they're matching, it makes them less anonymous. But they have the glowing green light. Yeah, totally. totally. Like, Like, here you are, like, trying to do a pretty covert operation, a carjacking, and you're wearing matching cars with glowing green lights. Like, it's silly. It's basically... James Bond circa 1980s meets Point Break, you know, meets car racing like Days of Thunder. Like, it is a bit silly. The other thing about it is I think the age of the actor's affects how you watch this film. Like, I do think that up until his death, Paul Walker looked almost the same and looked in great form. But I do think Vin Vin Diesel has aged badly. Like, in this film- Do you reckon? Well, in this film, he's aged well for his age. But in this film, he doesn't have the double chin going on. He's in great shape. I think he looks really good for the character he's playing and just in general, you know, of a a guy of his age. But you look at him trying to go head to head with that kind of weird fat muscle against, say, Dwayne Johnson in Fast Five onwards. You know, he does look like a bit of a middle-aged man. He's tried to work out really hard, but, you know, he's fighting against time.
1: I mean, to be fair, though, like, Paul Walker, you're right, he... Didn't really seem to age much at all. Michelle Rodriguez and Jordana Brewster, they look pretty pretty similar as well, almost 20 years later. Yeah, um,
0: Michelle Rodriguez looks amazing. Like She looks exactly the same.
1: So, poor Vin. Poor Vin, then. He's just got, you know, he's trying to fight off the dad bod.
0: Yeah, time shows no mercy. Okay, tell me, what's the most rewatchable scene that takes advantage of the premise of these twin movies? Let's start with Gone in 60 Seconds.
1: I mean rewatchable how like if i'm going to throw on like an awesome heist sequence you know or car chase i'm probably not going to gone in 60 seconds even though it has great car chases so i mean i don't know like i would rewatch the whole final heist again you know um, then boosting the 50 cars if i but like are its car chases good as ronan's or bullet or you know um, french connection no so I don't know. Like, do you think Gone in sixty seconds has a? I would probably rewatch some goofy scene with Robert De You know, again, him saying, "You break it, you buy it, my friend," <laughs> which is obviously the best bit in the movie. I'd rewatch that. You know,
0: yeah. Uh, for me, I think one of the most rewatchable scenes is actually that scene you mentioned beforehand about the cocaine on the ground when uh, Del Rey Lindo turns up and they're trying to hide it. That's actually not a car racing scene at all, but it's a fun scene, I suppose. For me, if you want to talk car racing scenes, it's probably, you know, the chase when he's got the uh, Shelby Mustang and he's being chased by the two cops, Nick Cage's. Probably that and, you know, getting to the end. I mean, I guess this brings me to plot holes and missed opportunities. I mean, it's kind of weird in 60 seconds we've got this amazing chase at the end and his Mustang is totally destroyed and turns up at the end the car looks unrecognisable and expects – Christopher Eccleston's character to go, yep, sure, you can plead the deal, no worries, that's fine. Like The car is, like, absolutely written off, but he somehow thinks that that's going to be enough to try and Nothing, free his little, brother. A little
1: panel beating couldn't fix?
0: Yeah, sure, yeah, right. Defeat tap the it point. out, you know? Um, the other part I thought was a bit weird in terms of missed opportunities was some of the cars they stole, I guess, like, they're trying to steal distinctly different cars, but when you see someone steal a... Toyota Land Cruiser. <laughs> you know what I mean? It looks like, really? Like, I guess it was a white, you know, absolutely tailored Range Rover. Like the one you see in Michael Mann's Miami Vice. Like, yeah, that'd make more sense. But when you just see like a regular suburban, you know, family father type car, it doesn't make much sense at
1: all. They stole a soccer mum van. I mean, but you've got to get 50 cars out, you know, through some kind of like, you know, some of them obviously just montage through, and they can't be a whole bunch of the similar-looking cars because that'd be confusing. And, like, is there even 50 cars? I don't know. Yeah, If you're, if no, you're a car not. fan, write in and tell us. Is yeah. there more than 50 cars?
0: <laughs> All right, let's move on. Any other final thoughts about The Fast and The
1: Furious? Um, no. I okay, I mean, Fast and The Furious, one thing that you talked about earlier that I always find interesting about these um movies is – Personally, I hate shots that go through car engine interiors and stuff. You know, those sort of CG shots. Yeah, I agree. agree. You know, just blast through the car. Any shot where basically the camera couldn't go. 100%. I can't stand. like, And this is, I guess, broadly a comment on CG often in general. I love it in movies where, and if you're doing visual effects, that's cool, where the camera feels realistically placed. That's the James Cameron trick with Avatar.
0: I mean, it's this bizarre thing that you see a film where the camera floats around in an impossible way, which the brain immediately picks up as being odd. And like only computer games have those types of camera shots. And that's because computer games are computer generated, so the camera can be anywhere. But James Cameron is such a smart filmmaker, he knows that when he did Avatar – he'd only place the camera in what would be reasonable, like possible, plausible camera positions if they're actually shooting live action. So the brain isn't confused. The brain subconsciously reads it as a real camera because it's a realistic camera placement.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think Gone in 60 Seconds did a much better job of this than Fast and the Furious, and, you know, blast all the, through the, the the gearbox or, or whatever. And – um yeah, I just find it just totally breaks immersion for me. I mean, lots of people must love them and it feels like the filmmakers are showing off or whatever. And, look, frankly, even very simple ones like that Fincher would do in, I don't know, the opening of – what's that Home Alone movie he made? Where it's like – Five Clip. No, no, no. The one with the mum and daughter, uh, Panic Room.
0: Oh, he's you know, very
1: showy and with And the there's all these shots one. going through keyholes and through
0: – And coffee cup handles. Kettle
1: fucking handles. It's just like – Stop doing that shit, mate. You're just, all you're doing to me is saying, ooh, CG coffee cup or entire CG shot. I don't care. Like, like you mount your camera practically on the front of your car, you cowards, you know. And thank- well,
0: apparently, as a slight segue, apparently David Fincher did that in Panic Room to try and move the camera around the house to give a sense of geography. Right. But he didn't have to go through the handle of a coffee cup. He could yeah. have just gone along the kitchen bench thus showing you the size of the, the kitchen and how far away it was from the window. He does the same thing in Fight Club where he pulls the camera out from like a rubbish bin yeah. and yeah. you think it's like a scene from space which matches the narration and it turns out to just be, I think it's like a Starbucks coffee cup. And then, you know, and it does it, does it also when the camera zooms through the truck to show the explosives Totally. It works a little bit more, though, because you're meant to be following the imagination and, like, the narration, the mind yeah. of yeah. And, a and, and, bipolar character. So, and,
1: and, the camera's and, look, zipping around think, accordingly. I didn't think the CG in The Fast and Furious was particularly – it seemed fine. Like, it's not like I'm knocking the actual execution of those shots, just the, just the theory behind them. Anyway. Yeah, I agree. I agree.
0: Any other final plot holes or missed opportunities by either film?
1: No, not that I can think of. I mean, I do find this like Fast and Furious is a remake of Point Break comparison interesting. Cuz it yeah, like it like it fairly is, right? Like a guy goes undercover to It totally to, is. But but like I'm sure if you just did a bit of research, you could find any number of movies pre probably Point Break that have a similar sort of plot
0: to I I think the know, key if- factors are here like let's look at Donnie Brasco which is a film that Paul Walker mentioned to Neil Moritz and the director earlier right all those types of films that have people undercover they were usually going into a subculture which is defined perhaps more by its its race like the Italian-American mafia or identity but it wasn't in terms of the the whole idea of extreme sports or extreme activities wasn't as much as the idea And that was the idea behind Point Break, right? These are extreme surfers and this is extreme illegal car racing. So, there's that. There's also the idea that he falls in love with one of the criminal's ex-girlfriends or in the case of the Fast and Furious, Dom's sister. There's also the case about letting the person go at the end, which is a key part of Point Break.
1: Although Point Break doesn't so much let him go, does he?
0: Well, he lets him go in the sense that if he is to survive, he survives. But I think in point break, I think Keanu realizes that he's probably going to die. And so he'd rather let Bodhi die on his own terms than lie behind bars. Like, cause he, essentially, Bodhi will get his comeuppance and justice will be served in a sense, but it won't be behind bars. Yeah. So there's that. I think also the key idea that someone, the cop, the undercover cop, feels more at home with the criminals and thus okay, needs to feel more loyal to.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Look, I think you're absolutely right, and you laid it out very succinctly then. I guess having done, having not actually done my research before this, I just often wondered if that comparison was a shorthand that people used, but how how rigorous, you know, does it actually hold up? And apparently quite so, so well done.
0: Well, given that the filmmakers and the lead actor and the producer and director all reference those films, then it's pretty yeah, fair to yeah. say that that's the DNA of the film.
1: But why um, did Paul just go to them and say, look, Look, guys, I just want to – he had to class it up with Donny Brasco, didn't he? Oh,
0: totally, totally. Actually, to- I've got to say to him, well played, sir, well played. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, indeed.
0: Um, all right, let's go do some trivia. Here's some behind-the-scenes making of trivia about these twin movies. So, casting woulda, shoulda, couldas, who else may have ended up in these movies? Now, I only found one interesting anecdote, and that was in The Fast and the Furious – the studio warmed towards the idea of Timothy Oliphant in the role of Dominic Toretto due to the success of the blockbuster Gone in 60 Seconds.
1: Yeah, right. And Uh, Oliphant declined. Can't really imagine it with anyone but Vin, right?
0: Totally. And also, too, I think this film, to its absolute credit, really stuck a stake in the ground and made a point that films with a racially diverse cast that, reflected a racially diverse audience, could succeed. In like this film, Brian O'Connor is the one white guy and when they, when they cast Dom, Vin Diesel, there's been many video essays and interviews and so on with him and he's a character because of his mixed racial background. Audiences from um, the black American community, Hispanic community, et cetera, can identify, and the white community, can identify with him because He speaks to them in a way um, that he can be one of them, which is a really interesting attribute for a star to have. Whereas had it been Timothy Oliphant, it's just another white guy like Paul Walker. So I actually think that it worked out really for the best and also for the sake of making more racially diverse cast movies in Hollywood. I think this film really kind of like set a precedent in that regard, which is a lot of credit to give to a pretty disposable you know, point break car chasing movie. But I think that's kind of been the outcome and you, you and people often point to this film saying, well, it opened the doors for Hispanic yeah, yeah. characters, for I black mean, characters.
1: You could probably broadly argue that the nineties in general, and the this being sort of the end of the the end of the nineties or, you know, very close to the 90s, was much better for big Hollywood movies having diverse casts than maybe in the mid to late 2000s and early 2010s. But, yeah, totally. Even now, Fast and Furious still with like really kind of great, interesting, diverse casts. Um, I totally agree, yeah. Yeah. I um, can't, speaking can't of imagine d- it with Oliphant though. Much as I no, have, I agree. Much as I much love Timmy. You know? Yeah,
0: ditto. I love Oliphant, but I'm really glad that he wasn't in this film. And also, to be fair, why would he be after starring in a similar film less than a few months beforehand? Yeah, yeah. Now, speaking of diversity, that brings me to marketing methodology, madness, and missteps. Did you realise that Gone in 60 Seconds was the first film to have a trailer narrated by a female trailer voice? No, that of What? Yeah,
1: Really? I've never seen is, that before.
0: Yeah, Melissa Disney. She was the narrator. And this was in an era where we had, there was that famous guy who did all those voices. What's his name? The
1: inner world guy. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, this for her to get the gig – in narrating a blokey, testosterone-driven, you know, machismo-infused car racing slash heist film, it's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. Wow. I don't think I've yeah. ever seen a – I'll have to check this out. Off to, I, off to YouTube you go. Yeah. i got to say, just while we're on this, I miss Trailer Voice Guy. I love the – you know, when you throw on old trailers and they've got like the VO narration, uh, it's much nicer than now they just do text or whatever – There's a really great
0: indie film you'd love. I think it's called In a World.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Have you seen it? Lake Lake Bell's in it?
0: Yeah, and she wrote and directed it. Yeah, solid Um, Solid recommend. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's jump to box office. So, which movie was the box office champ? Do you want to guess?
1: I would guess Fast and Furious, but only because it's had so many sequels.
0: All right. So, Fast and Furious, uh, it was made on a budget of $38 million did $144.5 million gross in the US, plus $62.5 million foreign. So, did most of its money in America, which I guess also reflects the time, for a worldwide total of $207 million of a $38 million budget. In contrast, go on 60 seconds, had a $90 million budget, almost three times as much, $90 million must have been cast. It did 101 million at the box office. So, you know, 44 less than The Fast and the Furious, but still pretty good. Plus 135 million foreign for 237 million worldwide. So 237 million worldwide off a 90 budget versus 207 on a 38 budget. So Gone in 60 Seconds actually kicked ass overall, but it actually lost money
1: because
0: it cost so much to make in the first place.
1: It's pretty surprising it cost $90 million to make. Yeah. I don't see all that money on screen. No. I, I, mean, I mean, they've got more practical car stuff and maybe they shot just for many more days or something. It's really yeah. hard. That's often something I wish I could find more of. how many days shoot was it, you know? Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm stunned by $90 million. I million. Mean, that, that's incredible. I mean, there are a lot of action set pieces in The Fast and the Furious And even if you'd paid Nicolas Cage $10 million, $30 million, I'm still surprised it ended up costing almost three times as much as The Fast and the Furious.
1: I mean, this could have been at his $20 million-a-movie paycheck.
0: It probably was, yeah. Error. So, let's uh, then see if it was worth it on the uh, Rotten Tomatoes scores. So, have a guess. Gone in 60 seconds.
1: Gone in 60 seconds. That would have got reasonable reviews, wouldn't it?
0: 25%. No, it didn't.
1: Wow. Ouch but huh. with the
0: audiences it did 77%. Oh okay. So audiences loved it and it was fresh.
1: So you could say it was it was made for the fans, not the critics. Uh-oh.
0: Yeah. Here's something interesting though. The Fast and the Furious did slightly better with critics, not much better, only 53%, right? But actually interestingly, it has an audience score of 74%. It's lower than Gone in 60 seconds. Yeah, right. Now, hmm. for context the audience score for 60 seconds is off almost a million user ratings, 955,000. But for Fast and Furious, it's a million and 43. Right. So it's almost exactly the same sample size. That really surprises me.
1: Yeah, I would have thought many more for Fast and the Furious, right? 100%. I mean, I'm surprised a million people have rated Gone in 60 seconds. Because it's sort of weird <laughs> in, a, in a universe where it's not like you can just pop down to the video store and you know, be like, oh, check this movie out on the shelf. I do like me some Nicolas Cage. I'll rent this. You got to go out of your way to find movies. That, you know, you got to actually be like, hmm, what do I want to watch? Got iTunes, blah, 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 I don't really imagine a lot of people queuing up Gone in 60 Seconds these days. Certainly not compared to Fast and Furious, where you might be like, oh, look, Fast and Furious 8 came out. Let's go back to where it all began.
0: Yeah. yeah. And maybe so, there's a weird yeah, thing that I would have thought that with a Fast and Furious film being released every two to three years, That would then actually trigger rentals or streams to watch the previous films. Yeah, totally. But I suspect there's probably this thing that because these films are over 20 years old, right, that what's probably happened is people have grown up on the first half of them or the second half of them. And some people like us have grown up on all of them. There'd be a lot of people out there who've only come into the Fast and Furious franchise at Fast Five. And basically, that was their entry point. It's almost like there are your point with like Star Wars A New Hope episode four. <laughs> oh
1: yeah. I mean if you're a fifteen year old going to see the new Fast and Furious, you were still swimming around your dad's bags when you were like well not even that, you know. When this when this came out. And would you yeah, even totally. need to bother to go back and watch the first one or would you just be like, eh, whatever? <laughs> <laughs>
0: if you actually were fifteen and you actually went back to watch this film, I actually think first of all, you think that Dom looks really young. But also I think it would look dated to you and I think the stakes would be considered so pissy, like stealing DVD players would just seem so ludicrously low-risk, low-profile, low-win compared to, like, flying a car out of a building in Dubai. Yeah, unless you're punching missiles
1: out of the air. I'm really not interested in your franchise anymore.
0: Actually, doesn't uh, The Rock in, I think, Fast 7 or something actually, like, skate along next to a torpedo on ice?
1: Yeah. And push it out of the way? Yeah. He does. Yeah, It's a lud- very normal, normal thing. Normal yeah
0: thing, to totally. Do. totally. All right, let's jump to our awards. Here we go. Let's bang through these bad boys. OK. So a new award? It's the best title award. Now, we actually don't have a name for this. Are there any particularly ludicrous films with ludicrous titles that can be the inspiration for this particular award?
1: What, like any movie ever made that has a ludicrous title? we got to set uh, some parameters here for this. Like, what?
0: Yeah, good point, actually. Like, what uh, is a
1: ludicrous title? you mm, Like, right. if, if someone said, All hey, right. here's, a, here's a movie, here's a movie. It's called There Will Be Blood. You'd be like, oh, shit, that's a crazy title. I bet that movie is full of blood and gore. <laughs> you know, just All like right. my other favourite movie, I Drink Your Blood.
0: Let's think about it, and we'll circle back to it another time.
1: Okay. Uh, it's called best The Rebel title? Without a Cause title. All right, for me. That's a silly title. <laughs>
0: For me, it's Gone in 60 Seconds. To me, it's a better title. I've always found the whole name of the Fast series just ludicrous and silly. So, I do like Fast Five a lot. But just the title, The Fast and the Furious, if you look at it really objectively and step away from the legacy of this franchise, I think it's a pretty dumb title. Whereas I think Gone in 60 Seconds, it sells the stakes for the film. Out of the gate.
1: Okay. I would agree in the Octopussy Worst Title Award or Best Title. It's Best Title, right? Silly Yeah, title. Best Title. Yes. Best and, Title. Then Octopussy still wins that um, as a award name. Octopussy. Uh, Octopussy. It's great
0: title. Yeah, okay. I suppose so. Okay. Okay.
1: All right. Also, the, the, worst- Martha Macy May Marlene. What do you want?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a clumsy title. Good film, but bad title. Okay. All right. Let's jump. So, the winner there it was... Gone, sixty right? seconds. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Although, although the one thing I will say about this title thing, Fast and the Furious, they've done some pretty imaginative stuff with the sequel titles.
0: Okay, you're you know. being very generous to
1: say imaginative. I would well, say struggle just call two, three, four. You know, the fate. I don't know what is that. Is that eight? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Fast and clever.
0: Bait? See it rhymes, Never. right? Get it. Yeah,
1: eight? yeah. Fate. But, like, Get it? but like Get it? if you're doing a sequel to Gone in sixty seconds, what are you going to call it? Oh, look.
0: Although, I I do think, though, the legacy of the Fast series is that once they committed to the numeral two, too fast, too furious, they just set the the trend for ludicrous titles across Hollywood that this franchise has not let go of. Although, then they get a bit confusing because I think Four was called Fast and Furious, isn't it?
1: Yeah, they just dropped the. Maybe it was post uh, social network.
0: What's cleaner. the connection there? You know, the Facebook, ah, you see? Right okay. into all right. Oh yeah. Sorry, you're right. The Facebook. Yeah, okay. And how about uh, so Fast Five? It's Fast Six. I mean, having said this, by the way, they're actually titled differently. Like in Australia, it's Fast and Furious Five. Fast and Furious Six.
1: Look, I, I guess think- my point is, if you're doing a sequel to Gone in 60 Seconds, are you calling it Gone in 61 Seconds or are you going to call it Gone in 59 Seconds? Are you going to go up or are you going to go down? Oh, you it's know? the Wait.
0: rule of um, Ocean's Eleven. You go up one. So, Ocean's Gone in 11, 61 ocean- Seconds. Yeah.
1: Until or, gone in still gone? Still gone? Still gone in 60 Seconds? Yeah. Gone again in 60 Seconds?
0: Going Gone in 60 Seconds?
1: Oh, how's that one? Going in 60 Seconds. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't really work, does it?
0: It doesn't lend itself to a sequel, no. You're right. Okay, next award, the Bill Fleck Big Break Award, named after American indie actors Billy Bob Thornton and Ben Affleck, who jumped from indie films into the Hollywood big time when they starred in the Michael Bay film Armageddon. So, Gabe, who got their big break in these twin movies?
1: Look, I don't know if you'd say it's a big break, but like Christopher Eccleston maybe, kind of a UK actor, goes across to the, uh, the big smoke, making Hollywood. This was one of his early... Early American movies in Gone in 60 Seconds?
0: Yeah, I'd say that's that, fair enough. Does that, I would yeah. actually add Timothy Oliphant, who was coming off Go. Oh,
1: yeah. Like, I mean, Go was kind of his Angela- first, first film, wasn't it?
0: No, but this is the big break award where you've been in India before, and this is okay. now you've joined the big time. So, he's gone and he has a small supporting role, but very charismatic in Go. Probably the most burn. memorable thing from Go,
1: really. That's what I have. Oh, Pretty check much. out this guy, a great drug dealer. Yeah,
0: yeah, Exactly. And also, Angelina Jolie, I guess you'd say that she launched from her Girl Interrupted film to this. This was probably one of her bigger, this was her first big Hollywood film, I think, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. Okay, what about uh, James Duvall, who plays like the dumbest member of the Youngblood crew? He was in all of those kind of like Greg Arakai movies and SLC Punk and-
0: uh, We'll circle know. back to him because I think he actually falls into the later category with Re- right. Giovanni Ribisi. Um, <laughs>
1: You How about The Fast and the Furious? Say about Giovanni? Um, <laughs> I'd but- say
0: Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah, totally. Girl Fight. Girl Fight to this.
1: Yeah, agreed. So, she who wins it. it? Yeah? Give it to Michelle.
0: I Basically, she built a 20-year career totally. going from Girl Fight to this film. So, for me, the winner there is Michelle Rodriguez, The Fast and The Furious. Agreed. All right, ding, ding, ding. The Tommy Lee Jones Stiller Award, named after the iconic performance by Tommy Lee Jones in a supporting role in The Fugitive – who stole the show in these twin movies, despite being in a small or poorly written role?
1: Hmm. Well, no one in Fast and Furious. I'm going to cross that one out. But I would say Vince. Vince. Who's yep. Vince? Vince. Matt Schultz. He's the guy's oh, happy. Pff. Matt Schultz. No. Yeah. Did I think so? Nah. Nah. Totally forgettable. Anyone? About- going- okay. Go on. Who've you
0: got? Go uh on. I mean, I'm always a sucker for Ted. Levine. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. I mean he's great. And he's always great. And yeah. you know, it's it's awesome when he shows up in this, but he's not doing much in this. You're not you're not yeah. untethering Ted. You know what yeah. I mean? You're not yeah. you're not letting him tuck his dick between his legs and you know that's what you want. That's what you want from Ted.
0: Okay, I might say I'm gonna say Jordana Brewster for The Fast and Furious. Well, that's,
1: that's that's I that's think she's
0: kind of you. She seemed to inject a bit of personality and zest in that character that wasn't a well written character. But I think she kind of ejected it with something that made it rise above what it was on the
1: page. I would say, though, that broadly, Gone in 60 Seconds, better uses its supporting cast in funny, you know, and interesting ways. Whether it's just like, I liked uh, I liked Lockstock and Snatch. Oh, here he is, Vinnie Jones. He's going to play a silent character who you know is going to deliver some kind of speech at the end because it's exactly the same totally. as Snatch or whatever. Yeah. Um, or Lockstock. Yeah. but Actually, this okay, is- I was going to say this is one of my favorite Rabisi performances, if not. Oh, really? number but oh, I love how slippery he is in this. I wish he did more movies after this, where he's had his slicked back hair and his goatee, and kind of you know <laughs> talking his like his drawl. You know, ah, yeah. oh, it's a classic.
0: I'm going to give Rabisi. it to. I'm going to give my winner to. I was going to say Robert Duvall in 60 seconds, but I'm going to give it to Jordana Brewster. I think she wrote about what she had.
1: Okay, fair. All right. All right. That's nice of you. The, how about you? Nah, I'll take that. Sure. All right. Bleh. All
0: right, let's jump to the Jan Vincent Michael Award, named in, in honour. This is Gabe's name, by the way. I'm still not quite convinced, so
1: okay. listeners. Uh, what about this? Forget Jan Michael. Forget him. Dustin okay. Diamond. He played Screech. Oh, saved by the That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Later, yeah. later I believe, I'm not going to say he's on a sort of career high or whatever, but I think he stabbed someone. Brilliant.
0: All right, that's great. All right, let's, so new name. It's the Dustin Diamond Award. Named in honour of one of the actors from the TV series Saved by the Bell, who didn't kick on with a big career after finding big fame in the first place.
1: (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly Allegedly. stabbed someone, but also allegedly found big fame. Right. (laughs) Clear clear it with legals there.
0: (laughs) Who didn't make the most of their opportunities after appearing in these twin movies?
1: Who didn't make the most?
0: Yeah, let's start with Gone in 60 Seconds.
1: Well, everyone in that seems to have done pretty- has gone on to a pretty pretty good career, haven't they? Yeah, look, I'd say this.
0: I'd say despite a pretty big starring role in the biggest film of all time, Avatar, I'm talking about Giovanni Rabisi and then obviously discovering some good work in TV on Amazon Prime's Sneaky Pete, there was a big gap there where Giovanni Ribisi just vanished. And I would have thought he would have actually kicked on and been in a lot more films.
1: No, surely not. If you go to IMDb, he's probably in 100 films. Really? Okay. All right. Well, give me your Fast and Furious peeps in that case. Who didn't take advantage of probably poor Jordana Brewster. She didn't turn up in a hell of a lot. So, she was in
0: the brief TV series, and maybe it was just a pilot, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. That was a TV uh-huh. adaptation of the film, and she played Angelina Jolie's character. I would say I've got three names here. I've got Matt Schultz, who played Vince. <laughs> yeah, okay. Chad Lindbergh, who played Jesse. thought thought hey, was really good. Yeah. yeah. And director Rob Cohen, who I think took advantage of opposite success in this film and probably just went to director's jail after his next film, Stealth. Yeah. But he did take yeah. advantage of it. So, I want to give it to Chad Lindbergh, who played Jesse in The Fast and the Furious.
1: I, I agree. Although, just while we're here, very quickly- This is not an actor. This is a character. They've got a member of their crew. Is his name Leon? Who just he's not in any of the other movies. Do they ever explain what happened to him? You know, like Matt Schultz died died number three or whatever.
0: No, Leon's one of the guys. He's the two IC in the rival motorcycle gang.
1: Oh, okay. Well, what's the who's the guy who's they've got another they've got another guy in there. Gang, you know they got Jesse and and Dom and Letty and Vince, but there's one more guy. And- is there? Yeah, there's another guy. I don't know. Oh, I
0: can't think of who I've it totally is.
1: is. Totally forgotten his name.
0: I now. Anyway, curious. he just
1: he just disappears, and I was like, oh, what happened to this bloke?
0: Oh no, you are right. It's Johnny Strong. You're right. Yeah, oh, you're one hundred
1: percent right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Well, do they explain in part three or four or five? Or maybe they're no. just holding him back, and then he'll turn up in part eleven. It's like, oh shit. Leon's back.
0: No, okay. So Johnny Strong. By the way, that is actually a classic character name. Right. I'm looking at IMDb. Okay. He has like ten credits. Right. Right. He stars in a few films before the Fast and Furious. Since then, he's Black Hawk Down in 2001. Right. Then nine year gap to Sinners and Saints in 2010. Then a short film in 2014. Then daylight's end in twenty sixteen, and then Coldbrook in twenty eighteen.
1: Yeah, right. So he just disappeared. There's Acting clearly watch, a story yeah.
0: there. There's got to be a story there. Um, apparently, he was a martial arts guy, but that's not actually the reason why. And he got married in ninety seven, but divorced, and that's it.
1: Anyway, it's very curious that his character is there. I'm like, who's this guy? Who's
0: yeah, I think the- you're I don't right. I remember this guy. He's the winner. So in that case, I think he takes the cake. All right. Give it to Johnny. I still think Vince and Chad Lindbergh should have also kicked on as well. All right. Johnny Strong wins. Okay. The winner winner Chicken Dinner Award. Who came out on top in each of these movies? And if they came out on top, was it their career high? So let's start with Gone in 60 Seconds. Who came out on top?
1: Well, this was in the midst of, for instance, Nick Cage's career high. I would not say this film was his career high, but he didn't really come out on top of this. He was already on top. So you can cross him off the list, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say, I mean, I'd just say he maintained his, you know, leading man action status. So I reckon he probably came out on top.
1: If we want to circle back, he was still a big, he was still a big star for another five years or something.
0: Actually, I'm going to do a bit of revisionist history here and jump back and say, for the Tommy Lee Jones Stiller Award, I'm going to actually re-gift this award to (laughs) Delroy Lindo. In Gone in 60 Seconds. Well, you just want to give awards to Delroy because he's awesome. Oh, wait till you- There's actually an award coming up named after him. So, oh, stand by. Delroy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, anyone else in Gone in 60 Seconds? For no. The winner, no the, winner, win- the
1: winner of this is clearly from Fast and Furious because that was much more of a star-making vehicle. Okay. So, who? Rob Cohen, Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, who- Well, not for Rob because Rob did one more movie, blew it, and then there was some terrible allegations about him that came up recently. So, psh, Rob- cross off of this. Surely it's Vin, right? Vincenzo Gasolini, mate. Like, off the back of this. For a
0: start, his name's Diesel. Yeah. For a start. So, he's just a match for this movie. It's a marriage made in heaven. He's gone to become an EP and a producer and a writer and basically an author behind this entire eight-film series. And he became a star after this film to the degree that he was quite comfortable in not doing the sequel to this film and the Triple X film he starred in around the same time because he was just so, on such a high and so confident and making so much money. So, I'd say I agree. He wins the winner-winner chicken dinner award. Yeah. All right. Best dialogue award. What are your favourite quotes? Let's start oh. with 60 seconds.
1: Like I said, you break it, you buy it, my friend. But the key to Deval's delivery of that is the laugh he does afterwards. That's yeah, the Yeah, totally, totally, totally. That's um, the best. Hands
0: well, down. I think you might like this one here by Memphis Reins. I just stole 50 cars in one night. I'm a little, little
1: little, wired. Yeah, that's just great. Sort of a little appreciation. Yep, it's a classic.
0: I like the line. I can't recall who said it, but it goes, I wish it was that easy. And the response is, I don't see the complication. Yeah, just, you know, it's cute.
1: That's kind of all I've got. You? No, I mean, apart from the divine neither of these are particularly quotable movies, you know. It's not Scarface or something where it's just chock full of, full of classics.
0: Yeah, agreed. Okay. I think the Fast and Furious. It's got a, I guess, other two here. Dom, I live my life a quarter of a mile at a time, and then Dom. His other line is, "You can have any beer you want as long as it's a Corona." There's that one. Which kind of both films. I guess, yeah. In the Fast and Furious series,
1: that quote carries on. I do think they they say that again later. No, another. the not interesting thing
0: about- I think they- Well, the Corona one, definitely. The Corona, you know, not that line, but the obsession with Corona pops up in every film. I think in like Fast 7, there's a scene where Russell is there with this big, in this kind of like military room with all this high-tech stuff. And he has like this titanium Pelican-style case,
1: Esky, or chili bin, full of like Coronas. It's just ludicrous. It's like the word Corona Coronas like And it look, Must- Corona's oh. a nice beer, don't get me wrong. Is it a tough guy beer? Is it like the beer of- I you know, thought it wasn't,
0: but then again, that maybe reflects my affinity with the
1: underground street racing right, culture right. So, of LA in 2000. So, you you know, you and I might like uh, Corona here and there. Do you think that that therefore makes us what, like, tough guys?
0: No, that's the bizarre part. To me, it doesn't seem like a tough guy beer. I mean, I just think of, like, people going to, um, what do you call that, like, end of school, head down to Mexico, you know, Cancun oh. kind of- yeah, yeah. Spring, Spring break. break. Yeah. Hey, Which to me it. isn't particularly cool, but no. I guess that's just perhaps a cultural misunderstanding as to what's a cool beer in a particular you know area or climate.
1: Well, look, after we finish recording this, I'm going to drink 12 Coronas and go for a drive and see how cool I am. <laughs> I'll
0: have a few craft beers at home watching TV. So, yeah. yeah. Tomato, yeah. tomato. All right. But actually, one funny thing about that quote, I live my life a quarter of a mile at a time, is that- It's potentially inconsistent with this whole new message that the subsequent films really lean into about family. Because living your life, you know, a quarter of a mile at a time is basically being prepared to die at any point if you're a street racer. But the other films are all about loyalty to family and family being the most important thing. And if you value family that much, you're probably not going to risk your life that regularly.
1: True, true. Maybe anyway. they hadn't refined the central premise of these movies being I don't have friends, I don't have friends, I've got family.
0: So you're saying that when they first did this film they didn't predict? Yeah, that's that right. they were like, seven like, other films?
1: You know, like like if they made Heat 2, Robert De Niro's didn't actually die at the end character isn't so much about when you feel the heat around the corner, be prepared to walk out in 15 seconds. Later. He's actually like, I don't have friends, I have family. What I said before about heat around the corner, don't mean it anymore. Ignore all of that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. Let's jump to the Drexel Chewing the scenery award, named after Gary Oldman's big performance in True Romance. Now, I was proposing we change the name of this award to the Nicolas Cage Award instead, for obvious reasons. What do you think?
1: Well, are you saying that Nick Cage just wins this award, therefore by default? Pretty you? much. Okay. Fair. Give it. Give it to. Give it to Nicky Coppola.
0: Done. All right. New award. It's the Taking a Paycheck Award and we need to find a name for this award, but it's about an actor only starring in this movie for the money. Bruce Willis. So it's the Bruce Willis Award?
1: Well, he's king of the paycheck, isn't he?
0: Yeah, I suppose so.
1: He can actually he can sing at your bar mitzvah for a million dollars a day. He'll do whatever he wants. I you think, want. though,
0: in a close second and third, would be Nicolas Cage and John okay. Cusack.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. All More right, Simon. So here's a bit of uh, – yeah. The Morgs turns up in whatever you want for – anyway.
0: I think you nailed it the first time with Bruce Willis. So, with Guy in 60 Seconds, uh, Robert Duval apparently had thrown in $80 million of his own money to finance his indie film, The Apostle, in around ninety eight, ninety nine, 99, and uh, so Bobby had to uh, pay the bills, and that's All apparently right. why he starred in 60 Seconds.
1: All right. Well, that's a nice bit of trivia. Let's give the return of Bruno Bruce Willis Paycheck Award to Bob, Bobby right. Duval. Okay.
0: Another new award. It's Before They Were Famous Award or the blink and you'll miss them. So, go on in 60 seconds. Anyone that you spotted before they were famous. I had Scott Cann. Was Just this Canned before
1: Scottie Cann was famous?
0: Yeah, I think so. I
1: think, I mean- Ocean's- It was after, it was after um, Enemy of the State, right? Where he played old Jughead. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. But he didn't really speak much. Oh, that's a okay. good point. Yeah. Gone in 60 seconds. Michael Peña is in it. Oh, you win. You're right. Yes. Yes, you're right. Okay.
0: How hey, about the Fast and the Furious? Anyone who wasn't famous then, that's famous now.
1: I didn't spot anyone in Fast and uh, Fast and the Furious. Did you?
0: No, I didn't. I mean, I guess the, the ones that would be most famous are actually the ones who are the lead characters.
1: Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, maybe
0: maybe Rick Yoon, who went on to have a career, like he was in Olympus Has Fallen. Oh, yeah, and- yeah. He's got a sort I- of
1: thankless role in Fast and the Furious as well. He's just sort of- rando Korean bad guy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I
0: think he plays the same character as well in um the James Bond film. Speaking of people play does. the same
1: character in Fast and the Furious there's that guy Noel G who's, who's like that? this he's like this um Hispanic actor. He plays Hector. And he plays oh, character for Hector yeah. in like every single movie. He's like in two hundred films. Like if you make any movie set in LA that has some amount of like you know Latinx characters or whatever, boom, Noel G. He'll be there. Hey-
0: He's not in the Sons of Anarchy remake, is he?
1: I don't know. I haven't watched the uh, oh, the okay. sequel.
0: Oh, no, the TV series that follows an alternative Hispanic bikey gang.
1: But that's not a remake, is it? Isn't it just a No, it's side- not a remake. Sorry. It's just a spin-off. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, he's not. Okay. All right.
0: Well, I guess at this stage, we've got Michael Peña. He wins. Give it to Michael Peña. For he's Gone in gem. 60 Seconds. Okay. All right. Next award. The Steven Tobolowsky Award, a.k.a. Hey, It's That Guy Award, named after the iconic supporting actor Steven Tobolowsky, who has appeared in over 260 films and TV shows. Many know him as the insurance salesman Ned Ryerson from Groundhog Day. So, Gabe, which actor triggered, Hey, it's that guy, when he or she appeared on screen? Let's start Look, with 60 seconds.
1: I'm going to give it to Grace Zabriskie, who plays Helen... Reigns, Nicholas Cage's mum. If you're a Twin Peaks fan, she played Sarah Palmer, who was Laura Palmer's mum. Ah, well uh, played. She got, very, she got a very she got a very unique, you know, look. I don't know how you describe that, but so I, I didn't remember she was in this movie. So when she popped up, I was like, oh shit, Laura Palmer's mum. What? Yeah, but nice I, I did spot. enjoy. Good that. Spot. I, okay. I did enjoy that.
0: I gave it to Ted Levine, who was in the Fast and the Furious. And I just love that after playing um, the serial killer in Silence of the Lambs with that voice that he has, he then decided to absolutely swing in the opposite direction, both in Heat and this film,
1: to play a cop. Wait, and his voice in Silence of Lambs is, oh, I don't know. It's more like yeah, that. that. That's it. You're right. Oh, that's better. A lot of yeah. oh. I'm no actor. Yeah. So,
0: he wins for me. So, it's Ted Levine, my guy against your gal.
1: I love Ted Levine. Oh, are you happy to give it to Ted? Yeah, fuck! I love Ted no. Levine. Any movie is just immeasurably improved by having Mister Mister Levine in it.
0: Okay, awesome. All right, let's jump to another new award. That's three new awards in this episode. Very exciting. It's the Delroy Lindo Award for great actors who aren't cast often enough, and named after Delroy Lindo, who's the incredibly talented tall black actor from Get Shorty. Delroy Lindos Heist, in this, and a life you're just going to give it to
1: Delroy Lindo. Yeah, hundred like, percent. Okay, well there you go. <laughs> Delroy Lindo come up and accept the award named after you.
0: I think okay. you actually, I think you could actually argue that Ted Levine could also have a go with this one as well. But for me, it's going to be the man who the award is actually named after.
1: All right, we'll just give it to Delroy this week. But hopefully next week someone can win the Delroy Lindo Award. It's not Delroy.
0: Someone's going to review. Get shorty or Heist or a lifeless ordinary. Um, oh. Okay, the Memphis Reigns Award, inspired by the absurdly named character played by Nick Cage from, would you get it? Go on in 60
1: seconds. Okay, I and mean, we should be clear, this was has always been called the Memphis Reigns Award. It just happens now we're watching the movie. That's right. That has the character of the name Memphis Reigns. Yeah, dear
0: listener, uh, this is your first time listening to this particular podcast. We actually did name this award like five episodes ago after – the character played by Nicolas Cage, Memphis Reigns from Gone in 60 Seconds.
1: And look, I'm happy to give it to Nicolas Cage as Memphis Reigns, but I will say this, and it, it's just so weird. In the movie, Delroy Lindo's character keeps referring to him as like Ronald Reigns. Yeah, why is Did that? he notice that? Wait, He's going like Rango Reigns or. He never calls him like, oh, this is a. I'm going after like super crook Memphis Reigns. He's like, hey, Rambo Reigns, Ronald Reigns, Ram- Yeah, I wonder if he's Reigns or something. Changed.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But why? I just thought that alliteration was him being, you know, derogatory, belittling him.
1: Rango Reigns? What is he? I couldn't even work it out. What you, was he changing it in each scene? Like yeah. sometimes like he's Reginald Reigns?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Huh. No idea why.
1: That's weird. Uh, I, I, I could not find.
0: I couldn't find any alternative titles, even though it will lose this one. I couldn't find any alternative titles in The Fast and the Furious except for Ted Levine's character who's named Sergeant Tanner, just because it sounds like a cliched name, but- it's by no means an absurdly named character.
1: Well, while we're on names, how many Korean or Asian gangsters in movies do you think are called Johnny Tran? Because I would say oh, all hundreds. Of them. Like, get a new name, Hollywood.
0: Oh, well, speaking of cliches, you named one before. How many Hispanic criminals are named Hector? Yeah, totally. So, same problem. All right.
1: Well, we're giving all it right. to Memphis. The, yeah, Memphis. The points. OG. Sure. Yeah. Sure.
0: All right. Ding, ding, ding. The next award is the Memento Award, named for moments you completely forgot about until you rewatch these movies. Let's start with Gone in 60 Seconds.
1: Well, I had completely forgotten about Vinnie Jones, one, being in the movie, and two, doing that speech at the end. I did enjoy.
0: Yeah, I actually had no memory of him being in this film at all. I recall this was just after Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. And he or became Snatch, like- whichever.
1: Yeah, I think it's yeah, third for- yeah. yeah.
0: So, I just could not remember him being in this film at all. And it's a bit funny. It's a bit like Ruby Rose in John Wick 2. Like, I kind of thought, oh, did they make him quiet because they just wanted the look but didn't trust his performance? Maybe. But, I mean, it's pretty kind of – even out him talking, it's pretty corny. Like, this whole, you know – silent character. And you're right. Like you just know he's going to say something at the end to pay off on that. Like yeah. it's very or, predictable.
1: Or, or like stub his toe and go, ow. And they're like, oh he does talk. but that didn't happen. Yeah.
0: Hilarious. Um I actually had forgotten that they were only stealing DVD players in the Fast and the Furious. Like I knew that that was like like what they stole, but I thought towards the end they might have actually stolen something more important. But no, they were just stealing more DVD players. But in Fast Five, they're stealing $100 million onwards and then the whole series becomes a subgenre of the heist genre, the espionage genre, the counter-terrorism genre and the revenge genre.
1: Well, they basically just become super agents and they just start working for the government or something, right? Yeah.
0: They're super agents with quips. Yeah, that's right.
1: With yeah. quips or whips?
0: Quips. As in like they make, uh, they make quips, you know. All uh, right. Um, all right. Next award. We're almost near the end here. The Home Stretch. Only two more awards to go.
1: The wow, Die Hard like Award, like the Oscars, yeah, that's a lot right. of <laughs> it, goes, it goes for as long as well.
0: <laughs> Die Hard Award, named after the influence of Die Hard, and inspiring a subgenre. In this case, for Die Hard, it was you know a single person up against a group of baddies in a single location. Just think of Under Siege. So, if imitation is the ultimate form of flattery, did either of these movies leave a legacy by inspiring a crop of clones? Let's start with sixty seconds. Uh, no. Okay, good answer. Agree?
1: I, yeah, totally.
0: Yeah, all right. And then the Fast and Furious, I would say, I guess they inspired clones in the sense of sequels.
1: Yeah, but also, didn't they make a couple of kind of sort of like extreme sports movies off the back of, I mean, probably, maybe not to do with Fast and Furious, but, you know, there's that one where Rufus Sewell is the bad guy and they're like, they're like a- Set of black ops skiers or something.
0: I can't recall that one. I mean, there's definitely uh, biker boys, which is the same sort of thing with motor Oh, and talk. and talk, which was pitched as being serious, but the director said is meant to be a bit of a parody of the Fast and the Furious. There was that remake of Point Break, where they decided just to amp up more extreme sports, like which not is, I just- think is
1: directed by the cinematographer of Fast and the Furious. Ah, that's interesting. Ah, okay. So, the wheel turns. Yeah. And the movie I was thinking of, by the way, before is called Extreme Ops, which is about, like, an extreme sports enthusiast unwittingly stopping a group of terrorists. So, he's unwittingly doing it or? Yeah, they're just accidentally stopping the terrorists. Chris Riley is an extreme sports guy unwittingly stopping terrorists.
0: Well, that actually sounds closer to being derivative of Cliffhanger, right? Because in Cliffhanger. I guess, yeah. He's not undercover. He just happens to be the wrong man, wrong place at the wrong time, bit like Die Hard, but he has expert skills, which the baddies don't. True. Yeah? Yeah. I would say that's right. fair. Okay. All right. Last award, Milking the Speed Cow Dry Award, named after the infamous sequel Speed 2, which took the high stakes of a runaway bus in a crowded city and then relocated to a sluggish cruise ship. So, could you make a sequel to either of these films? Well, we know the answer for one of them. And if the gun was pressed against your forehead and you had to, how would you do it? So, we know the answer to the Fast and Furious films.
1: Yeah, what's the opposite of milking a speed cow? Because isn't uh, that what they did? They, like, if speed, they, they, if speed 2 dialed it down, Yeah. they they dialed it right up.
0: How would you make a sequel to 60 Seconds then? Would you, or would it would be a spin-off?
1: Ah, uh, you could do either, couldn't you? I mean, like- There's always going to be someone standing over them to steal another 50 cars.
0: Okay. Yeah, I would say I'd go with the same characters. Oh, you know what happens? They steal planes. 20 years later. Oh, yeah, okay. And it's the same basic plot idea, but he's going to try and steal it to make up for his son who's done the same things as his brother.
1: That's Uh, the lazy version. Okay. But is Giovanni Rubisi there as well? Uncle? Oh, yeah, he'd
0: help out. Or... Maybe what happens is he's had a kid, he's like a late parent, and he leaves the kid in the, um, in the, in the little kind of kid seat while he's filling up the car with petrol and he's <laughs> going to pay for the thing and someone steals his car and he actually has to steal
1: or back. back his car. Be like John Wick, I suppose, in some ways. I feel like a sequel would probably start You you'd know, open and, at the funeral of Robert Duvall's character. They always oh, yeah, do nice. that. You know? Nice, nice, nice. And, and it brings the characters back together. They're like, oh. We did love old Chuckles DeVille. <laughs> Otto. We loved it. Nice. You know, Paul nice. won out for Otto, but then it turns out that Otto's ex-wife or something has problems, widow, has problems, and then they have to help her because he's foundation for needy children. I don't
0: know. I like it. I like it. That's good. That's good.
1: Um, all right, mate, whatever. I think that brings us to the end. Any other final thoughts? Well, could you mash the two movies together? Is there crossover potential? Oh, yeah. What that, happens that's back if, to our dream third movie. Yeah. But what okay. happens if, like, could you have the characters from, because you know, like, how Fast and Furious loves doing those scenes where they pull up at the lights. I think they've done this in a bunch of movies. They pull up at the lights in their kind of, like, their Fast and Furious type cars and they look over and it's always, like, mobsters in, like, muscle cars or whatever and they're like, huh, smoke them. And then they, like, you know, prove that their Nissan Pulsar, souped up whatever, can beat. Muscle cars or beat sports cars? Oh yeah, yeah. Like wouldn't, be like wouldn't a it be like? Off. Yeah, well, wouldn't it be like the sixty seconds crew up against the Fast and Furious crew because they have feels like they have different ethos, you know, different car ethos. Oh, well, that's funny to say that because in
0: this crazy Hollywood world of world building, everyone's inspired by Marvel movies trying to create these cinematic universes. There have been a few kind of tweets by people joking about if it's revealed in the next Fast and Furious film, Fast 9, or maybe Hobbs and Shaw, that character, what's his name, Um, that actor, Jason Statham, Hmm. I think I might have mentioned in a previous podcast episode that the Transporter, he's playing the Transporter in these films.
1: Oh, really? That's like a fan theory?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've mentioned before, (laughs) like, oh, see, actually, here's a great idea. What if you had a mashup? In the same way that I was thinking of blending Men in Black before the recent reboot, Men in Black International, there was an idea of doing Men in Black meets 23 Jump Street, as in the 21 Jump Street sequel. Right. So what if you did the same thing with Gone in 60 Seconds and The Fast and Furious, but now it's like it's now Robert Duvall, Will Patton, and Nicholas Cage, just like the older kind of, you know, grizzled – cranky retired thieves going up against like the crew from The Fast and the Furious.
1: Yeah, that'd be sweet. <laughs> yeah,
0: right? So, for example, they steal – they're not stealing – they're not doing international counterterrorism anymore. They're not stealing DVD players, but they do steal perhaps the car. And this is very John Wick-like, right, of Nicolas Cage. And so, Nicolas Cage is get his crew together to outcrew and outdrive the Fast and Furious team.
1: I like it. I look forward to the scene where Nicolas Cage takes off his shirt and fights Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh, man.
0: I won't sleep tonight. That's awful <laughs> thought. Oh, that's just awful. It's just like saggy man boobs in slow motion, you know, just going up against each other. Oh, awful, awful.
1: Right, and mate- on that note. <laughs> yes,
0: on that note, listeners, go to sleep soundly with that visual in your imagination. That brings us to the end of the show. Gabe, where can listeners find more of your work and musings this week?
1: Probably just at Twitter, at Gabe Dowry.
0: Awesome. And you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Ben Phelps on Twitter and Instagram and youtube.com slash Ben Phelps. And you can catch this podcast, Twin Movies, on all the usual places and also within the feed for The Ben Phelps Show. Thanks for listening, folks. We hope you enjoyed this show. Stay calm, stay cool. Stay tuned for another Twin Battles movie very soon. Thanks, Gabe. Nightmate. Cheers, mate.